everybody. This is your girl Kenny B, and I'm here with my producer Q, and we're here for another episode of the Black Content Corner. So before I start, we have a few rest and powers um, that I have to say. So uh, rest and power to Tommy Tiny Lister, best known as Debo from Friday. He passed like a couple of days ago. He was 62. And rest in power to Natalie DeSale Reed, best known as Mickey and Babs. She passed away earlier last week from, I believe, colon cancer. She was in her 50s. I think she's like 53. And I also have to say a rest in power to Casey Goodson and rest in power to Brandon Bernard. Now, if you're not familiar with these last two names, Casey Goodson is a 23-year-old black man that was shot in the back three times as he was walking to his home in Columbus, Ohio. And Brandon Bernard was just executed um, earlier this week. And there's a lot of um, support trying to get that pushed back. And um, a lot of conversation about the death penalty surrounding um, his execution. So rest in power to these folks. And I definitely... Um, the last two really kind of um, made me feel some type of way. And with that, I'm going to talk about abolition again this week because I don't think, um, I, 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 I don't want to push it on anybody, but I also just want, I don't think, pe- it, it's weird for me when people are upset in these instances like we get upset when people get killed. We get upset when um, the carceral system, the judicial system works how it was created to do. And we get upset. And then when we have these alternatives such as abolition, we still want to push back on that. You can't have it both ways. And you have to make a choice. So what I want to do is um, talk about three different ways we've, we see and seen abolition but I also do want to mention that after Bernard Brandon Bernard was executed another black man named Alfred and I think it's um, bourgeois he was executed the very next day a lot of people didn't mention um, his name and I also want to include that and I found this on the internet um, after the election in November five men were scheduled to be executed right before Biden's inauguration. So I've seen two black men have been killed and going to be three more that will be executed before Biden is inaugurated as president. So and, and these these situations matter and I think it's important that we talk about it. So abolition based on Merriam-Webster is defined as the act of officially ending or stopping something. And one thing that I have learned is that there is that textbook definition, but there are other ways that you can define abolition. And I found this quote, and we're getting a lot of quotes this episode. Um, I found this quote from Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and I'll talk about her a little bit more later. Um, She says, abolition is about presence, not absence. It's about building life-affirming institutions. So when we think of abolition, I think people operate out of fear. Um, I'm scared about what bad things could happen if we remove certain systems. And I want to go back in time and first talk about slave abolition. 
Uh, we know that, we all know, slavery was bad. And I think we really identify, especially black folks identify because those are our ancestors that were um, not even considered human. They were property. And I found this quote by someone that was pro-slavery. So George Fitzhugh. And he said, the Negro slave is free too. When the labors of the day are over and free in mind as well as body for the master provides food, clothing, house, fuel, and everything else necessary to the physical well-being of himself and family. And that's a real cute way to describe how enslaved people operated in this country. And that's how I feel that people react to abolition as a whole. There's always people that are gonna push back against this idea. And so, and I, what I'm also gonna do this episode is highlight black women that have been a part of these abolition movements because um, you should just always listen to black women. There are always a lot of people that are in this fight and um, black women are the ones that kind of lead the way. So. Um, one person I want to highlight is Sarah Parker Ramond, and she was born free. She came from a family of abolitionists, and she was one of the people that was, like, publicly speaking out against slavery. And she started at the age of 16. And I also want to mention Mary Ann Shod. Um, She also was born free, came from a family of abolitionists. And I wanted to mention them because a lot of us may not have had a direct um, connection. We we may not have been arrested by the police, beat by the police, or had someone that was related to us that has been killed by the police, or we have never been in prison, but that does not mean that you do not have a voice in these movements. I take myself as an, ex- an example. I've never been arrested. I mean, I've had some family members been um, in prison, but I haven't been directly affected by what's going on um, physically. And so that doesn't stop my want and desire to contribute to these movements. And I feel like because we cannot necessarily self-identify, that we kind of are distant and can't find a way to kind of find the beliefs in that. And I feel like these two women are great examples. I mean, they were surrounded by it, but they took the initiative to go ahead and be a part of these movements. So I I don't want people to be deterred from um, reading about abolition, learning about it, just because you're not necessarily directly impacted. And I want to move on next to prison abolition. And um, the people that I mentioned with this are like, have a wealth of information and I think this is a good way to start about if you want to look into defunding the police looking into um, jail abolition movements and prison abolition is a good way to start with that and so one quote that I found is that the first major investigation into police misconduct in New York City happened in 1894 and I want to say the year 1894. And I'm sorry, I said prison, police abolition. So we've always had issues with the police since the beginning. And I also want to mention that police policing was birthed out of slavery. We had the overseers that watched over black folks as they were in the fields. 
And that's kind of how we have police being overseers of us now. And these connections, I feel like aren't necessarily highlighted or I haven't personally seen it. And so what you hear when it comes to police abolition is, oh, like, what? who's going to be the ones to keep us safe? Who's going to come when someone gets robbed? Who's going to come when someone is hurt? What we have to realize is that the police are a part of, one, they're not trained to to show up and, and help us. And what I want to, when a quote that I've heard is that we keep us safe. We, the community, we are the ones that are going to keep us safe. And a lot of times people commit um, harm. And I'm going to be very intentional in, in, in not saying crime or saying criminals. I say people cause harm because there is a need. And yes, there are people that kind of do shit just to do it. But a lot of folks in prisons and jails do do things out of need. And if we are able to get the money out of police out of police budgets and put it into the community and cover people's needs, then folks won't have to go out and steal. Folks won't have to put themselves in positions where they may cause harm to other people. And I want to pull this quote from Angela Davis where she says, Just as we hear calls today for more humane policing, people then call for a more humane slavery. So you're always going to have people that are going to, and, and we see this with police reform. It's that, oh, you know, if we just do this, then, you know, this will stop um, people from being killed. And I think I said in the last episode that, you know, we've seen reform. We've seen the body cameras. We've seen um, the dash cams. We've had, you have tasers and I don't know if they have pepper spray or whatever. But I think what's important, and I want to pull from Casey Goodman's, Goodwin's um, story, Goodson, I'm sorry. Goodson's story is that the person that killed him was on a task force and they do not have body cams. So that means this story has turned into a he said, she said, or he said, he said type of thing. And and the family is already speaking out because the police go into these investigations already kind of siding with the the police officer that has killed somebody. So one of the activists that I want to talk about when it comes to policing is Angela Davis. This is somebody that has dealt with this firsthand, as we all know. And I don't have to go into a background with Angela Davis. We know she is. She's a Black Panther. She was arrested, and um, she actually represented herself and was able to get out of jail. But what I think happens with Angela Davis and a lot of people that are Black Panthers and revolutionaries is they are romanticized, and we hold them up, um, but we never look into their politics. Angela Davis has really been about this abolition life. Like, I don't, um, I can see how we can look on service level and celebrate her, but I think it's unfair to celebrate her without looking into what she believes in and what she says. And so one book, and I've mentioned this book before, um, I want to highlight our prisons obsolete, which will go into jail abolition. But I want to mention that book because, I don't want to mention it again, because there is um, resources online where you can get that book and read it for free. 
you do not have to buy it. And I want to mention that it's called Our Prisons Obsolete. So all you have to do is go into Google and you can find a PDF version of that book. Another person that I want to real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, Angela Davis, you just mentioned the uh, Black Panther Party. I think that um, one thing that our generation and probably uh, certainly a younger generation um, I don't know about you, but a lot of us grew up thinking or being taught that the Black, pa Black Panther Party was um, like radical and was actually bad. Like it wasn't a good thing. It's not until we, you know, have kind of had a movement in the in the early '90s and now back again today where we're actually getting the literature on the Black Panther Party because I guarantee you half people don't know who Angela Davis is like at like actually know who she is other than her name Fred Hampton um you know the list kind of goes on and on I feel like we are just now learning more and more about um the Black Panther Party and whether or not we identify with that yeah I, and I think that's part of the education piece which I think is kind of separate mm -hmm. but um as adults and I'm speaking to adults. <laughs> um, we do have to take the time to actually read about this stuff. It's not about, you know, you can throw your fist up and say black power all day. But do you re recognize and realize what these people were fighting for? Because Angela Davis is uh, definitely caused you in prisons and she's about ending the police. So do you still want to celebrate her? Do you still want to celebrate these? And these folks, and I talk about political prisoners. These people basically have sacrificed their lives for us, and this is what they believe in. So if you want to be pro-black and fight for black liberation, abolition is one of those alternatives that can help us get there. And that's what I believe in personally, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of do the work that I do. Um, the other activist that I want to mention is Bria Baker. On Instagram, she's called Freckled Wild Black. And she um, just written a piece about um, why she considers herself an abolitionist. And her name is B-R-E-A, Baker, B-A-K-E-R. But she likes to focus on intersections of race, gender, public safety, and community. And there's another lady that I found. I, I put her like an honorable mention because she's never been explicit about being a um, abolitionist. But her name's Brittany Packney Cunningham. And she, you'll see her like on MSNBC. She's kind of like a, a talking head or I guess a political commentator. She did work on the police task force under the Obama administration. And she's an activist from St. Louis. So she was around for like the, the Ferguson uprisings. And she is also, um, she is, she speaks a lot recently on defunding the police, but she's never really been explicit about um, abolition. But I think she has she does have really great points when speaking, and I think that she is also someone to kind of follow. Um, I don't have her Instagram. I think it's like Pack Yeti on Instagram. I have to look it up and circle back. Um, but the last part of abolition that I want to do actually before I go to prison abolition, there is a website called Mapping Police Violence that is a good go to to show what. Um, what the police has been, have been doing and one thing that i want to pull out uh, of that website is that 98.3 percent of killings by the police from 2013 to 2020 have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime 
and they have a, a graphic for that and it really only shows that one officer has been convicted and i actually think it's been two um there was the officer that killed and in so many nights i can't remember i know his first name was walter in south carolina he was convicted but also the black officer that killed that white woman i think he was the one so they wouldn't count the one that, in minnesota yeah i don't think they would count him because it wasn't maybe because she killed a white woman but you know he went to jail with no issues like and that's what i mean like this oh they got him out of here quick quick they got him out of here quick there there was i mean there was you know you see all the there was no doubt whether or not he was going to be convicted in everyone's mind mm-hmm. once you kill a white woman again negroes even if you the police that just shows you they can kill us and they probably are going to get away with it you and we and i cannot touch them and expect to, that we're going to have the same consequences as them it just ain't it ain't happening i agree and then and that's why it's not about, oh, all police officers are not bad. It's that police officers as a whole are not held accountable. They're, um, they have the ability to run rampant and do whatever they want to do. Except when you're black. For, <laughs> for people who say that all police officers ain't bad, man, it's sure a whole lot of bad ones out there. Sure a whole lot. It's hard, I mean, it sure looks like it's hard to tell the difference to me. Yeah, and, and for those people that talk about good police officers, you know, we don't really get to see the um, them speak out. And actually, there was a black man that spoke out um, after the George Floyd killing, and he lost his job. So we see the culture of the police. A lot of people refer to them as a big gang, and it's really what it is. Um, well, do you remember Chris Dorner a few years ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, whatever whatever secrets he found out on them, they they were willing to chase him and kill him and as and kill innocent people to shut him up. So, yeah, uh, just because because y'all back the Blue Brothers don't mean that you uh, can run in that gang, right? And 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 I think um, and it, I don't even want to talk about Queen and Slim, but it, it made me think of that one scene in Queen and Slim. Sorry if you haven't seen it, where um, a police officer was killed, and it, it was a black officer that was killed, and that was. I know that it was intentional that they did that because a lot of us, when we see, um, when I see a black police officer, it doesn't sway me in either way. Like I don't empathy, sympathy doesn't nope. come. So um, I see a police officer that can do harm there was a black officer that killed a black man a couple of years ago so um being a black officer does not absolve you whatsoever so and we as a person who has had run-ins with black police listen they're they're hell we are just as tortured by them in some cases if not worse than than you know with white police officers especially in memphis because you know a lot of these brothers are from there like they understand and yet they still choose to be complete assholes. I mean, you know. Anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. And and so I just want to mention that website and let me give it to you one more time. It's mappingpoliceviolence.org. And actually it's a really good website. You'll be able to look up different um police departments on there and see like who's been killed, um, whether they were armed or not. You get graphs, um, statistics. I mean, and the first image you'll see actually is a, is a, um, it shows a map of America and like where the police have killed folks. 
in the year of 2019. And then they also let you know that um, the police have killed 1,039 people in 2020 alone. And nowhere will you will see that, I think, in like media. Like no one talks about these numbers probably until afterwards. And we're not even halfway until December and we have over a thousand folks being killed by the police. So um, all that I can say is do your research. It's out there. And um, I know it's hard to think of a world without police, but it definitely can be a thing. I think we're all looking at Minneapolis where their city council voted to disband the police system there. So we'll see what that means, um, what it looks like and how other cities can implement that as well. So I'm gonna go on to prison abolition and Prison abolition, what I want to say about prisons is, and I learned this reading, um, Are Prisons Obsolete, which I didn't realize. So prisons didn't exist until like the 1800s. And black people weren't in prisons until after slavery was ended. That's when black folks start filling up prisons. And if that doesn't say anything to you, like it should. It's, it's, um, and as, as, Time has changed. The reasonings on how and why we put black folks in jail changed. So after slavery, it didn't take much to, to put a black person in jail to keep them in slavery. Because back then you had the chain gangs and you had like mines and stuff. So it was like a lifetime of servitude, basically. And then we move on to like Jim Crow. And, and the biggest one that we see was the war on drugs. And according to the Black Past, that's where prison abolition movement started um, back in 85. I feel like that's a little late, but um, we see the war on drugs. And that was um, an excuse to put a whole bunch of black people in jail. And one thing I just learned, and I forgot what I was watching, but um, I didn't even know this, but black, white people were the highest users of crack cocaine, not black folks. But it was the black people that were getting put in jail. And of course, people that were using cocaine, the powder cocaine, that was looked at differently from crack cocaine, even though it's the same substance. Because that was a world- It's still looked at differently. Mm-hmm. Still looked at differently but, because it's considered a, a white man's drug, a rich drug. Yeah, it's, it's wealthy people use that. So you don't really get criminalized for that. And I want to mention- Same thing with weed right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, just <laughs> a, what a change that has been made, especially when it comes to marijuana. And what's sad is the black people that have been criminalized, especially for having selling weed, having weed, they're not even able because of their um, um, criminal history. They cannot even get into the recreational um, marijuana business because of that. And that's why they went to jail for that same activity. So, um, I mean, I don't have to tell you. We know that the system is not fair when it comes comes to black people and sentencing. All of that, you know, is disproportionate. And we are the ones that are the victims of that. And so one person that I really want to highlight is Miriam Kaba. 
She is a Chicago activist. She is surrounds or focuses her work towards ending violence, dismantling the prison industrial complex, um, transformative justice, and supporting youth leadership development. And I just Google her name. It's M-A-R-I-A-M-E. And her last name is Kaba, K-A-B-A. She is wonderful. And it's really, it's one person that I'm trying to read more of. So I can, you know, move forward and, and be more um, educated in this path that I've decided to take. Um, she just has a wealth of articles. She has her own website and you can read. And I feel like she writes in a way that it's easy to read and easy to understand. And I think that's very important when it comes to these conversations. Um, the next person that I want to highlight is Ruth Wilson Gilmore. She's a prison scholar. And she's at this interesting intersection. Um, she's a geographer, but she also is an abolitionist. And she intersects that through racial capitalism and police abolition. Abolition. I know she has worked in California to prevent the opening of new, new prisons in California because the system is bad, but it's really bad in California. Um, and so those are two people that are... are really good resources to look into if you want to learn more about what prison abolition is and what it can look like. I also have a, a website. You can Google the Marshall Project with prison abolition and they have like a ton of articles that you can um, look up to. And I'll probably try to put some of this information in my Instagram bio so people can access it. Um, but that's all I have for abolition, and I will not stop talking about it. Um, it's going to be something I keep mentioning, especially as I see people get more uh, worked up. Like, I know we're all tired of seeing black people dying, and we have to look at these alternatives so that we can try to reduce the harms that happen to, to, to us. And we can't do that if we if we continue to rely on these systems, because what's hurting us is not going to help us. And I found this um, quote from Miriam Kaba. It says, "Let this radicalize you rather than lead you to despair." And I really love that quote. I'm thinking about getting a tattoo of it, but I just wanted to mention that because that is. Um, one that has brought us to the spaces where we are today. I think like a 15-year-old Kenny B wasn't thinking about abolition, but I was well aware of um, harm. And it's definitely definitely different. After Trayvon Martin, I think that was a big sticking point for a lot of folks. And, and Tamir Rice, not to let that make you sad, because when we see children dying, don't make it make you sad, but use that as a, as a time to educate yourself and learn what alternatives that you would like to use and implement to make this world a better place for black folks as a whole. And I mean all black people, not just the ones that you like. You, uh, you look like you want to say something, but I keep going. <laughs> I'm good. No, I'm, I'm good. Oh, there is one article before I move on. Miriam Kaba has articles. Um, it's called So You're Thinking About Becoming an Abolitionist. Now, that is probably what I'll link in my Instagram bio. That'll lead you on down a hole. Um, so that's it. That's all I have 
uh, I will probably bring up abolition again when something else happens that kind of irks my nerves. <laughs> so on to television. Um, yeah, I'm still on. I'm actually in the middle of Married at First Sight, the Chicago season. I forgot what point I'm at. Um, I will say, I know you said that that one's boring, and I think because I watched season four first, they were in Miami. That season was really boring. Like, I would rather watch Paint Dry than to rewatch that season of Married at First Sight. So, season five is a lot better and <laughs> easier to watch. Okay, because yeah, season four, I like, I've already given up on. I'm like, I'm not watching this. Oh, it was awful. But, um,. Other than that, I was watching, so we're gearing up for the reunion for the Real Housewives of Potomac. Um, the finale, everybody was really hype about that, and I was very upset. And I want to talk about Andy Cohen. This is where we see another, where we see how race plays a part in things, especially in reality TV. We have Michael Darby, a white man who is definitely an elitist. How he is able to still be on a network after content. Uh, several times he's done this, but sexually assault pr- uh, members of production at Bravo, and he's still able to be on this show. And we saw him be the epitome of a white man in this finale, how he can instigate uh, um, um, with cr- uh, Chris Bassett, be up in his face. And then when Chris Bassett was like, get the fuck out my face, and pushed him back, then he wants to put his hands up and say, oh my God, you hit me. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call... Um, call my lawyer and you're gonna go to jail that's how white people weaponize their existence to harm other people and Ashley Darby she may be biracial but she does that shit as well and I talked about it earlier this season when she was calling Wendy a dark skinned black woman aggressive and mean they both do that they should not be on this television show but because they bring drama to this to this season or to the cast Andy Cohen allows him to stay. But we remember when Phaedra told that lie about Candy, about Candy trying to rape somebody, Phaedra got kicked to the curb. And that was just off a rumor. But we have this white man who's literally putting his hands on other men in an inappropriate way, still gets to be on this television show and still get a check from it. And I'm really over it. I can't stand Michael or Ashley. And I know people don't like Candace, but I hope, and I saw a clip, Candace gonna be roasting the fuck out of Ashley. And I, I say, let her do it. Let her have it. Candace has a, the mouth to be on, uh, to be a housewife and to be on Bravo. Yes, she was in a physical altercation and the way she handled it wasn't the best. But when it comes to reading the fuck out of people, especially Ashley, I'm here for it. And I'm team Candace. I want Candace to stay on the show. And I do want Monique to stay on the show as well. And they're going to make them be in the same room and talk next season. I put my money on it. We also have the beginning of season 13 of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, This season seems like it's going to be a snooze fest. I don't look forward to it. I was happy to see the um, activist side of Portia in the first episode. Um, I really loved when they asked her what did she learn from her experiences from being arrested down in Kentucky. And she said that she learned that she was going to do it again and keep doing it. So um, I look forward to seeing... I know people are questioning her intentions, but um, I hope to see more from Portia in that. We'll see. Another show that I watch, and it's 
I liked it so much, I'm going to watch it again. It's called Utopia, and it's on Amazon Prime, and it stars Sasha Lane, Ashley LaThrope. Um, you'll see Sonya Son and Crystal Fox. This show is so crazy, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, the best way I can say it involves um, a comic book, uh, conspiracy theories, vaccines, and um, your purpose in the world. That's all I can say. <laughs> but it was really good. Um, I think it's like 10 episodes. They're about an hour long. Um, like I, It's based off of a British show of the same name. Um, a lot of people said the British version was better. I think I like the American version better. Maybe because I saw it first. But I plan on re-watching it. And I would love to see what other people think about this show. And on the movie front, um, I wanted to mention, just because we were talking about Abolition, Jess Mercy. That's the movie that stars Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Um, it's that, it's the story about Brian Stevenson and him trying to work on Walter McMillan's case to get him off of death row for the murder of an 18-year-old white woman. And Brian Stevenson is a real story. He, I think he still lives in Alabama working on death penalty cases. I will also look him up when it comes to abolition, especially with um, a death penalty abolition, because that's the thing as well. That's just something that I'm not well versed in, um, but also another person to look up. Um, I also watched Small Acts, the next episode. I think that was episode three, and this one has John Boyega in it. It was called Red, White, and Blue. This is also based on a true story, and it was very interesting, and the timing of this coming out was interesting. So, it's a story about Leroy Logan. Also, um, this is set in, in Britain, so this is black Brit, British folks. So, John Boyega plays Leroy Logan, and he is, um, he was a scientist, but he was bored with that, and he wants to join the police force, and he starts the process around the same time that his dad gets beat, like brutally beat by the police. And that's the conflict, guys. <laughs> that's the story. And I think it's very, it's an hour, 20 minutes. And I think it, it was interesting, I'll say that. Because I, I put myself into that, in, into the shoes of the, I felt for the dad. And I kind of felt like, it was kind of, not that they that they wanted you to be like shame on the dad for being upset at him for wanting to be a police officer but it's just like this man has been beat by the police and now my son wants to join the very people that have hurt me and what's crazy is because i looked him up and i was like i wonder how he feels about like the state of uh, policing now because what he kept saying in the movie was like i want to be the change within the within this organization like I want to make the change within and what we see with that of course I think this is like the early 80s late 70s so it's like you're still dealing with racism within the police force yourself and it kind of ended at the beginning of his career as a police officer so they never really uh, go past that but he did remain a police officer until like a couple of years ago just in case you want to know but look out for that. I believe there are five short, I can't say short films because they're all full length, but there are two more films in the Small Acts um, anthology series on Amazon Prime. And I think the rest of them are based on true stories. 
And lastly, um, Q had reached out to me because he had watched the photograph. And I really want to know what he was thinking. That was the movie it had Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae. It came out earlier this year in February. And there was a conversation around this movie, just how the story was told and how some people didn't like it. And a lot of people really did like it. So Q, did you like this movie? Um, I would not watch this movie again. I don't know that I liked it. If so, I thought the best part of the movie was like, honestly, it was like Lil Rail, and I can't remember the actress who played her, but like Lakeith Stanfield, Issa Rae, I felt like I was being read to. Like it, it felt like a poetry session or like a, a, you know what I mean? It just, it didn't feel like. I also think Lakeith Stanfield's kind of weird. So like, the whole movie was just kind of. Eh, eh, I wouldn't watch it again. The dialogue to me felt like I should just be reading a book or like they were reading to me. And it didn't feel like two people of their age, like it didn't feel natural. Like that's not how we speak. That's not really how we get down. Even if we are, you know, the thing I loved about it was everybody was successful, had had big time gigs, had big time money. But even as we enter that space, like we're not talking like that. I, so that that was the only thing for me. I just felt like it was kind of it was kind of boring, to be honest. Oh, let me mention other people. So you were talking about Tiana Paris, um, who's beautiful. I love her. Ye- yes. Um, Elon Noel. Uh, Shantae Adams and L'Oreal, like you said, um, in that movie. Um, I liked it because, and now I'm, I'm going to make sure I watch it today, rewatch it today. When I saw it, I know I, I really liked it at the time because I was like, and it was based off of Issa Rae's parents. That, that storyline is what I really liked because um, to me, it, it finally showed a woman making, putting herself first and making the decisions she needs to do for herself and not for a man or for love. They were in love. The parents were in love. She loved him. He loved her. But she knew that she wouldn't be able to live a full life, the life that she wanted for herself in that small town. She wanted to leave, and he did it. And she chose herself. I actually... I actually think that was the more interesting storyline. And maybe that's the problem with the story. Like, I wasn't interested at, at all in Issa or um, Lakeith's roles. Like, I just wasn't. Like, there was no real character development. And maybe the story wasn't about them. But as as the main characters, honestly, like, I, I, w- I was bored. And I will say, as with all Issa Rae projects, like, the music game was on point. You know the 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 70s the 80s like the the music was great um the way it was shot like the artistic like i i loved i think the movie had more potential i would like to see more movies like it the overall like storyline i was with like the parents i thought were interesting but as a whole like i said i just i didn't find the two main characters that interesting which i think is a bigger like for me was a problem in the movie i think another um you said boring. Another thing about that movie that Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield didn't really have a big conflict within their relationship, which is a very different from other like romantic comedy. I don't think it's a romantic comedy. I don't know. But in other movies about love and relationships, they didn't have like this big 
uh, conflict that we usually see. And I think that also lended to why maybe it was born to folks. But also, like, you, you think about, like, the thing for me, right? They didn't talk about this supposed big time relationship. Like, they both share this kindred of right he was gonna propose to his old lady and didn't broke up was gonna move to london she called off her engagement or or she broke up with a dude that proposed to her um and so like but to not go into any of that like i said there was just nothing and it wasn't even that they had to like go through some type of adversity there was just nothing interesting like they what did they talk about like why does this dude have trust you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like why did why does she react I there was just nothing behind there was no development and it was just supposed to be like oh I'm supposed to care that this girl's father is this you know what I mean like it just it, it there was nothing that made me want to be interested in them they just they they were just kind of and and, the, and it was very monotone out of them like I don't know the whole thing took on more of Lakeith Stanfield's personality which made me think like I don't know that there was much chemistry there because everything else I've seen Issa in, like her personality, her wit, mm-hmm. her, 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 like literally everything about Issa that we enjoy was not on display in this movie, other than the fact that she looked beautiful. Okay, I'm gonna rewatch it tonight and see how I feel. There's another thing I forgot I need to mention. It's a short animated film that's gonna be on Netflix. It's called Canvas, and it it's, um, let me see where it's okay. So it's a story of a grandfather who, after suffering a devastating loss, is sent into a downward spiral and loses his inspiration to create. And years later, he decides to revisit the e- easel and pick up a paintbrush, but he can't do it alone. So this is from who is this? Frank E. Abney, which is a black man. The short film is a older black man, and um, apparently he. At Frankie Abney was a part of like Coco, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, Onward, Soul. So it's a black animated film on Netflix. So I'm gonna watch that today too. Um, anything else other than I feel like everything else, like with entertainment, is especially movies and music, has been Christmas um, um, influence. <laughs> Ashanti got the Rona, had to drop out the, uh, the verses. Yes, and, and that I wasn't gonna watch. I was going, I was going to hop in and out, but yeah, she does have the Rona Rona, so that's gonna be scheduled to January. I get. Well, I was gonna mention this Christmas movie. It's gonna be on Hallmark. It has Tamara. I know everyone likes Tia, but Tamara is in a Christmas film with a black. Hey, hold husband. on! You can't be shouting out the white twin. Hey, look. <laughs> it's black twin or no twin we don't we do not acknowledge tamara in in this here community okay well surely her, ralph her is husband in this movie. and her trump supporters man they got to go surely ralph is in Who? this movie um it's called christmas comes twice the husband black i don't know his name there yeah but anyways i said i would look up different trump support christmas. tamara trump i just hate the the trajectory that she has gone down is terrible because i love out of nowhere too i love their reality show like i loved it It was one of my favorites 
and she didn't really come off bad on that show, even with her husband being on there. So it's just we. I think it's when she got on the real, and when you talk about like politics and stuff like that, that kind of is what really turned people off. And, and it's easier to put your foot in your mouth when you're on those types of shows, because everyone has done it. Even Whoopi Goldberg. Remember we were side and Raven Simone. I think Eve. Her. And that, that old dirty Adrian Balon who don't wash her hands after she used the bathroom in her house. That's why I say, you have to be very, you have to be, I don't think you can be on those type of talk shows and not put your foot in your mouth at least once. Because even Lonnie, the, she said something stupid on there. So, um, let me move on to music. Uh, like I said, it gets real Christmassy. Um, but I will start off. Chica uh, put out a song called FWB, France Benefits. Um, I didn't know she could sing, too. I, I don't know why I'm surprised by that. But she sings and raps on that song. Ari Lennox put out a song called Grounded. I can't wait till she put out another album. Um, so let me stop you right there. Because she has been on Twitter. I follow my boo Ari because, A, she's sexy. Anybody out there can fight me over it. Uh, and, B... She says she don't know when next time she's going to put out an album because uh, she she don't really get along with her label. She, and she one of them artists that got to be in the space, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, go go take a look at her Twitter feed. She said it could be a couple years. Her, you know what? Let me tangent. Let's do a quick tangent because that is something similar that Tiana Taylor said. She's having issues with her label. Now, we know Ari Lennox is under J. Cole. Tiana Taylor is under Kanye. Mm-hmm. And that was really wanting to know what the people at Good Music were going to do. <laughs> because, one, I doubt his... We know Kanye's focus is not on other artists. And, well, Big Sean was able to put out his stuff. Big Sean hasn't really said anything. I think um, I think John Legend was on Good Music. Who was all on Good Music? It was a ton of people. And Tiana Taylor... You know, but she had an issue with her first album. Well, not the first album. The album before this last one. Remember, it got pushed back and she was having issues. She was having really bad issues. Remember, that album only had like eight or nine songs on there. Like, it wasn't a full album. She had, that had issues. Now we're seeing again that she's having issues. And it's just like, I think for black artists, I'm going to say this. I think your best route is independent. The independent route. Well, you you look at like the artists who have had like a real resurgence, like Tanashi, who very hit or miss on her music, but she I listened to a podcast with her who um she just said how she fired everybody, went independent and like released her last album, which was pretty good. Um I, I can't remember Songs for You, which was a pretty good album. Um and then um Damn, it just slipped my mind. Someone else did the exact same thing. Who was it? Um, yeah, slipped my mind. But uh, a lot of, yeah, like you're saying, a lot of these independent artists are starting to take control and really have control of, of their music, their careers in a way that, like, you know, typically uh, black artists haven't had that freedom, that luxury. I know Monica is independent now. So whatever album she puts out, I think that'd be her first. I can't independent album uh, I can't believe whoever it was I was just thinking about just straight up slipped my mind a chance to rapper Tip my tongue. is a good example oh Justine Scott oh 
Okay. <laughs> Does uh, listen, Chance the Rapper putting out music once every I, like like I'm not really a Chance the Rapper guy, a Vince Staples guy, like I, like I feel like those dudes are very overrated. Um, Chance the Rapper would I liked him at first and then it's kinda I I do think so I wonder if Jasmine Sullivan is because this is a, a tangent on the tangent. I like when artists put out music when they want to. It makes me think of Jasmine Sullivan. Right. Uh Frank Ocean. I feel like Chance the Rapper is kind of that way. Like I don't mind it because I feel like it's more authentic. We can enjoy it better. I think the only person that was constantly putting out music and we didn't mind it was Rihanna. Because I know she was trying to get out of her contract too. And that's why she was putting out albums every year. It was somebody else that did that too. Just putting out music, putting out music just to get out of that contract. Rihanna's probably the only person I think who was able to do that and do it successfully. Um, But I, that's really sad. You wouldn't, I wouldn't think that, especially being under J. Cole's album, I feel like he would, maybe they're just a face of these. I don't, I don't know if it's like her label. I do know that whatever, there's something industry wise. She's been having some serious issues for, for a while. She's been very vocal about it. Um, but yeah, I, I actually just saw like a day or two ago about her on Twitter saying it's going to be a couple years for, or it could be a couple years before she releases any new music. Well, I will say uh, you can catch her Instagram lives. They are hilarious. She is so funny. So. I love Ari Lennox. She's one of my favorite people. She has been recording music, but I guess we'll see what comes of it. Um, I guess I meant Chance the Rapper and Jeremiah put out Merry Christmas, Little Mama. And then Mariah Carey put something out called Magical Christmas Special. I guess it's on TV and it has a soundtrack. Um, Yeah. Um, but what I have been watching a lot, which I haven't been watching a lot of TV because I've watched this a million times. Chloe and Halle's t- Tiny Desk is out on on YouTube. Watch it. I really want to see them live. And I, and just knowing that I can't really makes me upset. Um, it's so good. If you haven't listened to their album, Ungolly Hour, please go back and listen to that. They're so talented. They've done a lot of virtual performances over the pandemic. Um, I know the Hallie is going to be the Little Mermaid, so I know they got pushed back, but very talented. I always want to support them in everything that they do. They're also on what's the spinoff of Black is Grownish. They're on Grownish. Love them on there. Um, so please check that out. And so my fancy this week is Kamaya. She's from Oakland, and she put out an album on the, um, what was the 11th? Friday? On Friday. Um, it's called No Explanations. Now, I'll be honest. Most of the artists that I mentioned, there's always something that I like. Kamaya's from the West Coast, and I never really got into that really West Coast sound. So, and that's what her music is. So if you are into like what the 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 California sound crumping that, then you'll you'll like her. I did find a song called "Set It Up" with Trina that I liked, but that's because it's just the regular ratchetness that I enjoy. But you can check her out. Her name is K A M A I Y A H, and that's Kamaya. She was on the um, what's that list? that they put out for rappers like new rappers like to look out for 
She was on that list in 2017. It's not the source. I feel so old. <laughs> I can't think of it. I don't know. But it's like a list of like 10 newcomers that that um this whoever it is uh puts out. And yeah, I don't know why the source keep coming to my head because it's not what it's called. But she was on that list in 2017, but that's my FMC. And the only other thing I have to mention, um, the COVID vaccine was approved and should be coming out. I know I've seen a lot of chatter on whether you're going to take it or not. Um, and I think it's a, an individual decision. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'll be standing in line for it just because, I mean, I don't even take the flu vaccine every year. I'm bad on that. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I also am just slow to do stuff. Only just because that's just me. <laughs> I got to wait and see how, how how's, you know. We we like in what, group four or six or something? We in the last group, so I need to see how it what acts with groups? the first five groups. I don't know, old folks. Oh, um, the vulnerable folks first. Essential yeah. workers. Yeah, you know, kids. Not my kid, but somebody's kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, I got an updated vaccination last year. I forgot which one. And I, like, I, she asked her, did you want to do it? I was like, yeah. Like, it's nothing for me to, like, agree to do it. Because I had it before. You just age out of it and have to do it again. So, but I ne- I just, when they say, do you want to take the flu shot? I'd be like, no. Like, I've always been adamant about no. <laughs> But I don't have a good reason to of saying nope. no. So um, we'll see. So I know I definitely be probably one of the people that are late to getting a COVID vaccine. So make the decision for yourselves, guys. Just if you ain't into getting vaccines, don't come around me. Um, so that's it. That's all that I have. I want to end this thing off with Black Women Make History 2. And this week, I will be talking about Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, also known as F.E.W. Harper. She was born in September 24th, 1825 in Baltimore, Maryland, or Baltimore. She was born free and was able to attend school until the age of 13. Harper learned about about anti-slavery from her family, who were also abolitionists. Her love for literature grew from having access to books at the home of the family that she worked for. Harper began expressing her abolitionist views in her work after leaving Maryland due to the newly passed Fugitive Slave Law. And that law meant it didn't matter if you were free or enslaved, that if you were black and you got arrested, they could ship you on to the South and you became um, an enslaved person. So in 1859, she became the first African-American woman to become published with her short story, Two Offers, which appeared in the Anglo-African magazine. Aside from writing, Harper lectured on anti-slavery and women's rights. Harper also helped found the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. She was a part of the American Association of Colored Youth. And she was also the superintendent of the colored sections of the Philadelphia and Pennsylvania Women's Christian Temperance Unions. So we thank Frances Ellen Watkins Harper for breaking those barriers in literature in the literature world and working tirelessly to improve the lives of African Americans through education 
and through the lecture lecture circuits and through her storytelling. So that's all I have. Don't have no more. Shout out to fucking Daniva. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.